Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say, what the hell are we doing here not taking a week off? It's our Final Four special, baby! The Jayhawks of the University of Kansas men's basketball team are in the Final Four. And as promised, we deliver with a bonus show for you guys getting set for the Saturday semifinal against a team that's been a little bit of a thorn in the side of the Jayhawks, certainly in the postseason, the modern blue blood. Villanova. Welcome into episode 94 of the Keeper of the Games podcast at cogsports.com. As always, we would like you to share and subscribe to our Twitter account at cogpod. You can get the audio on our website, as I mentioned, cogsports.com, or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash keeper of the games, cogpod.podomatic.com for the audio, the videos on our YouTube channel. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell, get the notifications so you know when we're putting out a new episode. We will be here for episode 95 next week. Even if this Final Four doesn't go well, because we've got two KU guys on this show. Even if it doesn't go well, I promise you that we will be here to do a show next week to recap everything. And lastly, you can get the audio pretty much everywhere. iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google, TuneIn, and so many other choices. I am Blake Cripps, joined by Tommy Castor. Tommy, uh, there was a second, maybe even more than a moment, that I thought, we're not going to be doing a show. Because we had said last week... If they lose, there's no reason to come and do an extra show. We'll just do it as part of our regular schedule. Um, and by the way, next week, uh, spoiler alert, Royals baseball preview. So make sure you come back next week. We're talking a lot of Royals baseball next week, getting set for the 2022 season. But boy, am I sure glad that we are here talking about Kansas getting two more games in the Final Four, hoping, hoping to uh, wrap up the season with a national championship. Yeah, Blake, it's great to see you uh, on this episode. <laughs> and on, on top of that, I got to give a quick shout out to my lovely wife uh, because we have an agreement that the uh-huh. podcast is an every other week type thing. We watched the Elite Eight game and and when it was over with, uh, I looked at her and said, I think I'm going to have to do a podcast next week. And to her credit, her response was, I absolutely understand. So um, <laughs> I'm here. We're excited and I'm ready to dive in and break down everything that we saw in that game. Uh, alert to our listeners and our viewers. This is not, I mean, I don't want to say it's not a full podcast because I think we're going to get just in depth on this topic as we would any other topic, but this is the only thing we're talking about this week. So there's a lot of other stuff. We will still have a whip around. We will still have additions, corrections, retractions. There are a couple of things I think we need to mention, but in terms of our main topics, KU in the final four, that's it. That's the list. Everything else, it could go on the back burner to next week. And so we will dive right into that as the Jayhawks are into their fourth Final Four under Bill Self. Their 16th of all time. They face a familiar postseason foe, as I mentioned, the Villanova Wildcats in the semifinals on Saturday with a trip to Monday night's championship game on the line down in Creole country. It's a lineup dripping with blue blood talent and tradition. Of course, Villanova, the game's modern blue blood, taking on traditional power Kansas, now the winningest program in the history of college basketball. And I don't really need to say anything else about the other half of the semifinal, the last Duke-UNC game with Coach K and the first time the ACC rivals have ever met in the big dance. This has to be Turner Sports 
hugest, biggest, wildest dreams to get this Final Four. The Jayhawks survived number 13-ranked Providence. Number three Jayhawks advanced 66-61 in the Sweet 16 before, after a pretty bad start against Miami, they roll in the second half to punch through the storm of the Hurricanes, 76-50. The Hawks back in the Final Four. Before we talk about the games and obviously we're going to look a little bit at Villanova as well. Not so much at the Tobacco Road Rivals because we don't know who they're going to play. Both teams are pretty good. What a story it is for Coach K. Can you talk about what it just means for this program in in totality for for Kansas to not only become the winningest program, getting back to the Final Four after we both think probably being robbed of that chance in 2020 due to circumstances outside of the program's control. There's been a lot of negativity around this program. Last year's season did not end particularly well. There's been the specter of these investigations, which at this point, I am more certain that the podcast is probably going to end before we actually get the sanctions. I, I I think that the show will end either next year or 10 years from now before we actually know what's going to come of this stupid investigation. Uh, this is a shot in the arm of this athletic department and this program exactly when it was needed. Uh, what do you think this means overall for the state of Kansas athletics and Kansas basketball and the legacy of Bill Self? Well, you're awfully pessimistic about the future of our program. Uh, <laughs> and by our that. program, I mean our podcast. Um, oh, sure, sure. Uh, no, I, I, I think that this means a lot. Um, you know, Ochai Abaji even said, uh, and he, he said it leading up to the Elite Eight game, uh, that they were the team was doing this, they were motivated on behalf of the 2020 team, uh, that, you know, they were the default number one team in the country. They were by far And there wasn't anybody and nobody will ever convince me otherwise that would have beaten Kansas. Now there could always be a second that sentiment. There could always be a fluke. You never know. It's March madness for a reason. Right. But absolutely that that team was head and shoulders uh, above anybody else. Uh, in the big dance two years ago with Devon Dotson and Yudoka Azabuke. So that's added motivation for the guys that were on that team and they were able to carry it, carry this year's program forward. Guys like Ochai uh, and Mitch Lightfoot and and, and others that um, remember what that was like two years ago and and want to want to honor the the, the squad that had their season. And and in some cases for Devon Dotson and Yudoka Azabuke, their their career cut short for sure. So, it means a lot for them. And there's been, um, you know, again, just this overall um, national cloud, if you will, over Kansas athletics. And for a lot of reasons, you know, and things that are in the control of the athletic department, things that are outside of the control. We're not talking about just the basketball program. No, a lot of it's not in control of Bill Self either. Right. Uh, You know, exactly. And and some of these things involve football, right? A Uh, lot of it involves football. Yes. There's just an, there's been an overall dark cloud. Um, And I don't think so much for fans of the university or for people who are close, you know, in that uh, athletic department necessarily, but from a national point of view, I I said it on this podcast a year ago um, that I believed that. KU was kind of going full villain against the NCAA. Like they were kind of like, we, we know nobody likes us. We're just going to embrace the fact that we're the bad guys. Sure. Um, but, but the fact that this run has happened the way that it has, they get a chance to go back to new Orleans. They get a chance to advance to the final four. Again, it means a lot for 
the administration, the program, the athletic department, the team. Um, it's uncertain what's exactly going to happen with this program long term uh, after this season. But th- this means a lot, and I know it means a lot to Bill Self as well. It's it's a challenging environment out there, not just for Kansas, but for college athletics in general. It's just things are different now, uh, and the fact that he's been able to get this team to the Final Four um, tells you a lot about how he is as a coach and what he brings to the table. On, on top of that, Bill Self, and we can get into this you know, a lot more in detail, but you know just as well as I do that there is a national narrative that Bill Self can't make it past the Elite Eight. Now, I think that that's an unfair narrative because the last time that he made it to the Elite Eight, he got past the Elite Eight in 2018 against Duke. But overall, early in his tenure at Kansas, the argument was Bill Self can't make it past the Elite Eight. And so having, you know, he was, I think his overall record was at two and five leading up to the 2018 season. And now he's four and five, four and five sounds a whole heck of a lot better than two and five in those elite eight games. So I think that means a lot to him as well. And, and, you know, maybe that's not something he would say in interviews, but kind of getting that monkey off his back a little bit and being able to carry this team into another final four. Yeah. I I want, do want to make the first correction of the show right now. I'm not, I'm not negative on our show. I'm extremely pessimistic that the, that that investigation is ever going to be solved because we've been waiting for like four years now for anything to come of that. So we'll see what happens with that. Getting to the basketball boy, that Providence game, you, you, you got the sense in the first half about what Bill Self was really talking about when he said, you know, I feel like this team has defensively turned a corner because without their defense, I think that they lose to Providence 100% of the time because Providence hit twice as many threes. Kansas was 2 of 14 from the three in that game. But Providence in the first half, and then they they did get out in the second half, and they did some damage. The KU improved in the second half as well. But in the first half, they were 1 of 13 from the three, 7 of 35 from the field. They had 20% of their shots, and they only had one guy score more than 10 points, and that was Durham, who had 21 you know, and he had was a, a volume scorer. He had to take 18 shots to get those 21 points. I really felt like the de- the defense for Kansas was really really critical in that Providence game, and we saw them play well defensively against Texas Southern. Uh, we saw them play well for the most part defensively. I think against Creighton, I do think that David McCormick had a, a poor game defensively, did not make some good reads, and we left uh, the Jayhawks left Kaluma open way too much. Not really any major breakdowns. I felt like the the defense against Providence in the first. 20 minutes. And remember, people will say, oh, Providence, you know, Big East team, whatever. This was the number 13 ranked team in the country, 13 in the country coming into the tournament. Okay. So this is not just some no name, just show up team. Providence is a team that could have beaten Kansas. Now, Miami, I don't think was nearly as talented as Providence was, but first half, they got things rolling, but boy, in the second half, did KU shut them down defensively. People will look to the offense, and I do think that there is something to, you know, your offense plays into your defense, and when your offense plays well, your defense plays better, or, you know, vice versa. You make a stop, you get some early runouts, you get some easy baskets, some easy looks. It's all part and parcel, I think, but Kansas... 
gave up 48% and three threes in the first half to Miami. Second half, the Canes go 0 of 13 and hit 21% from the field. So, you know, Brian on the, the Jayhawk network was talking about how Bill Self had said that several times in pregame about how, boy, I feel like this team, it's not his best defensive team, not even close, not by a mile. But he does feel like over the last month or so of the season that they have really improved. I don't know if that's because of Remy Martin, who's been the Jayhawks' best scorer in the NCAA tournament at 16 points per game. I'm sure we'll get to him in a minute. But I think we need to look at defensively what they did against Providence on Miami because if they don't guard in the second half against Miami and in the first half against Providence, I think the Jayhawks have a very high likelihood that they are sitting at home right now. They're a very streaky defensive team. Uh, Which is when weird, isn't it? Yeah, when they're good, they're great. And when they're bad, they just give up open looks left and right. Why is uh, that? Because we I, don't talk I, about I, streaky defensive teams. Streaky shooters, that happens, but streaky defenses. But I actually agree with what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you know, you go back to that Providence game and you, you break down the first half. Yeah, Providence only scored 17 points in the first half. Some of that you can credit to the Kansas defense, but let's face it, there was a lid on the basket. They just weren't making shots. Shots were not going down for Providence in the first half. And and some of that might be nerves. Maybe they were playing a little bit tight. Not exactly sure. Um, But in the second half, Kansas gave up 44 points to Providence. It It was a closer game down the stretch. I'm not saying that Kansas completely disappeared on defense, but it was a, a lot more. It was a combination of Providence being able to make more shots than they did in the first half, and the fact that maybe Kansas's defensive effort wasn't quite as intense as it was in the first half against Providence. And the offense at times, I mean, they had that 13-point lead, and then there was a stretch where they did zilch. I mean, they gave like a a 9-1 run or something to Providence, 16-2 run to Providence or something like that. Yeah, and and so, you know, one thing about that Providence game that a lot of people, um, you know, don't, don't talk about or haven't talked about is that Providence, when it came down to winning close games this season, Providence was the best in the country at doing that. You this this was a team that. that you did not want to be down two, up one, tied. If you were in that one possession game with them all season long, more than likely they were going to win the game, and that's why that that Friar squad was able to get to number thirteen in the nation because they were clutch. They were able to win those close games. They were able to ice it down the stretch. Ed Cooley did a phenomenal job coaching that Providence team this season. Um, you know, and, and you don't think a lot of times in the Big East about Providence, and he put the Friars kind of on the map this season. You know, and, and he he's been a, a solid head coach for a long time, under the radar kind of guy. Um, but credit to him and credit to his squad. Um, that was a close game, and that was a game that typically Providence. This season has won. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head a couple of minutes ago when you said it was easily a game Providence could have won. And and it was a game that two months ago, Kansas may not have won. I think they Uh, would have definitely lost two months ago. 100%. You know, I I kind of equate it the same way we talked about the Creighton game last week. Two months ago, that's not a game Kansas probably would have won. Uh, But that's where I think you look at the job that Bill Self has done with his rotations and with getting someone to step up from game to game uh, and, 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 and be that alpha, be the guy who's able to 
push the team up over the edge. And and that's what they were able to do against Providence. But yeah, going back to your original point, defensively, when they're locked in, they're they're really good. And, and I know we'll get into Miami in just a minute, but they were so good defensively in that second half that it wasn't just the defensive effort. It was the defense being able to, the, being able to then be turned into offense that yes. really propelled the Jayhawks. And so um, th- clearly they're going to need that moving forward. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely like to see more of the, the, the locked in defensive effort than, than the alternative. Well, and you look at the fast break scoring. Providence outscored KU on the fast break, sixteen to six, and that was a big bonus for the Jayhawks. They outscored Texas Southern twenty three to six. They outscored Creighton nineteen to ten. They got back to that, especially in the second half. And I don't have the second half box in front of me, but I have to imagine they. I mean, they outscored Miami forty seven fifteen in the second right. half of that game. I have to imagine there were a ton of fast break points. They ended up scoring 17 uh, to Miami's 10 in the fast break. And we have to also mention, you know, you you mentioned coming into the tournament, coming into the Big 12 tournament. Is Remy Martin going to be allowed to play? Well, uh, he's KU's leading scorer in the NCAA tournament at 16 points per game. Uh, He's been unbelievable because Ochai Abaji, for the first three games, didn't really look like a Naismith Player of the Year candidate. Um, And again, we throw out Texas Southern. It doesn't matter. They were never going to lose to Texas Southern. But you look at the Creighton game, you know, he was a bit nervy. 5 of 14, 15 points, but... A volume shooter, not efficient offensively at all. Two of eight against uh, Providence in that one, and he had just five points. And Remy Martin comes to the rescue with 23. Finally against Miami, the roles kind of reversed. got back to normal. Remy off the bench, scored nine, and it was Ochai Abaji with 18 points on eight of 12 shooting, two of two from the three-point line. He got back to looking like himself. He had four blocks. I do want to give credit to Ochoa Baji because I think it was in that uh, that Creighton game. He's found other ways to impact the game with his defense. He ended up having one of these games. Didn't he end up having like five or six blocked shots? It was unbelievable how many blocked shots they ended up having. Yeah, he had four blocked shots against Providence and probably could have been credited with a little more. But you look at Remy Martin and how he has played, you know, through the first three games of the tournament, and then Ochai Abaji just... It, I felt like in the second half against Miami, offensively, KU was just so much more in rhythm. It was so much more of a flow, and there was an attack, and there was a plan. There weren't as many dumb passes. And let's give credit, too, to David McCormick, because I thought he had a clunker of a game against Creighton. Did not play well and was just fine. You know, the whole offense was at a funk against Providence. But credit to him. He was 6 of 7, had an unbelievable finish, and Mitch Lightfoot off the bench went 3 for 4. And when those two guys combined to miss two shots on 11 attempts and score, what do they have, 24 combined points? Well, I don't think KU's going to lose if those two guys play like that with Remy being available and with Ochai back to his to his normal you know self as of the Miami game. I don't think you can understate how important that second half against Miami is moving forward for the Jayhawks. Up here, um, isn't it? it? It really is. And especially watching the way that Ochai played that second half and what that means for him going into the Final Four. Um, I tweeted this out, and and I have racked my brain. I can't think of, uh, I can't think of an example. Maybe you can. Maybe someone listening can. But has there been a more dominant half of basketball in the tournament for Kansas 
since that first half against North Carolina, North Carolina? in 2008. Uh, I don't know if there has been a single half of basketball more dominant. I mean, it was at one point in that 2008 game, it was 40 to 12 against Roy's <laughs> North Carolina team. Guy. The I Jayhawks outscored, that, the outscored Miami 47 to 15 in the second half. I mean, so, maybe one uh, against like Prairie View A&M, certainly not a, against the against the Power Five school. Right. Man, I don't I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, and and we all know what happened moving forward after that dominant first half against North Carolina in 2008. I'm not trying we to do. jinx anybody, but I think a lot of it like you just said, it's it's mental. It's it's the confidence. It's that, you know, yeah, things, the shots are actually falling or yeah, this is working. Now, don't get me wrong. And I agree with you. Miami had a, a great run. I think you can consider Miami a Cinderella kind of team. It was the first time ever in the Elite Eight. Jim Laranega is a really good coach. Like He's it. taken yeah. teams to the Final Four before. Um, Charlie Moore, God bless him, had a great season for Miami. Uh, but... They were. <laughs> they were have out, a good game. Yeah, they were outmatched, especially in that second half. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the first half was a clunker all the way around. Mitch Lightfoot at one point was the leading scorer for Kansas in the first <laughs> yeah, half. I know. And he had missed like four free throws, uh, and he was still the leading scorer. I mean, like it was the offense was working through <laughs> Mitch Lightfoot, and when that's the case, typically things are not going well for Kansas. Um, but th- they were they were completely. Uh, Miami was completely outmatched in that second half. And that means so much for Kansas moving forward. And it, you know, I watched Ochai Abaji and Christian Brown, who both are incredibly dynamic players, obviously. That's an understatement. Yeah, for sure. Both both looking a little tentative in prior games in the tournament, especially Christian Brown like passing up open three point looks like that's what you're really good at. Like, yeah, you're a good slasher. You're great at driving to the hoop, but you're, you're probably one of, if not the best long distance shooter that this team has, you need to shoot. You need to launch. That's what you need to do. And he was unwilling and unable to do that until the second half against Miami, when really things started to, open up a little bit more for him. Things opened up significantly for Ochai Abaji, and it means so much for these athletes to actually watch the shot drop, actually see it go down. Ochai's been in a little bit of a slump, and seeing the shots drop, um, I think, bodes completely well for them moving into this weekend. And and KU hasn't really fallen in love with the three either. I mean, they only shot 14 against Miami, and they didn't make a single one in the first half. They were 0 of 5 in the second half, 5 of 9. They got good looks. And I think one one thing that they did do much better in the second half, they got the ball inside to David McCormick. He was a focal point of the offense in the second half, and he has continued to just rack up so many fouls on the opposing team, and in the vast majority of the tournament games, with the exception of Texas Southern, he's had a great, I mean, going back to the Big 12 tournament, he has had a great month at the free throw line. He's been unbelievable. KU against Miami was horrid at the free throw line. They will have to be better than that, but I think that they have got to continue sticking with an inside-out look 
especially against a Villanova team that I think might be a little bit undersized. I think that KU might have an advantage there, but you're 100% correct. You know, Christian Brown and guy, you know, Jalen Wilson's a guy that did not have a good offensive game against against Miami or Providence. He hit a couple of threes. He had a double-double. He's doing other things to help KU. I mean, he's yeah. got 11 rebounds in both of the He's kind of that behind-the-scenes guy that's going to, you know, clean yeah. up the mess. And, and, he, and he's settled into that role. He doesn't have to be the prolific scorer on the team. Well, look uh, at he, what he, he did against things. Miami. I mean, he was one of eight, was not good offensively. Yeah. He had the best plus-minus in the game. He was plus right. 30. Plus 30, yeah. not even, the second place is not even close. By the way, Charlie Moore, minus 31. Ouch. Yikes. That, yeah. that hurts. Uh, so, you know, I think that the other thing, too, did you notice the minutes for David McCormick? The effectiveness was up. Minutes went down. He only played 18 minutes. Now, is some of that because the game started getting out of hand? And once the game did, you know, KU got into a, a point where there was a lot of transition activity. I'm sure for a big guy on his injured foot that's still not 100%, it's not going to be in the in the Final Four games, probably not the kind of game that he's going to excel in, but he did enough to give Kansas the buffer to get them back into the game. He was more effective with less minutes, and I look to seeing that continue in the Final Four games, keep David McCormick at that 20-minute, 18- to 22-minute mark, get 18- to 22 really good minutes out of David McCormick. He was plus 15 against Miami. And, you know, then go to the bench, go to Mitch Lightfoot. Mitch Lightfoot played well in his 17 minutes. I thought he, I think he, at this point, is more mobile up and down the court than David is. We'll see what the defensive matchups are like. Obviously, they're studying those. They're going to know whether or not David or or Mitch is going to be a better defender against the type of offense that Villanova is going to run. But I like seeing David McCormick limited and that you know getting more efficient touches out of him. Exactly how they did against Miami. There were two underrated moments in that Miami game that I think really propelled the Jayhawks, not only to victory but a, a comfortable victory. Number one. Uh, was David McCormick fouling out Sam Wardenberg for Miami? Um, oh yeah, and, and he fouled out early in the second half. I, like they, I, I was shocked. Like, did they yeah. forget how many fouls he had? Like, I mean, there was what, like twelve minutes left? How many fouls did he draw? Yeah, he drew three like fouls. Wow. Uh, can we give a shout out to Mitch Lightfoot? By the way, he yeah. drew seven fouls. Yeah, what? Bet- That's between, crazy. Between McCormick and Lightfoot drawing those fouls, yeah. and, and and you know. Sam Wardenberg is not a prolific scorer. He's not the, they, they don't play, they don't run their offense through the post. That's not how, what no. Miami does. They're a high flying, launch it from deep, you know, kind of team. And Wardenberg can shoot the three. He, he drained a three in the first half, yes. uh, but he, he's not the, the prolific scorer, but he's pretty much, he is by far the biggest guy on their roster. And as soon as he fouled out, it was sort of an opportunity for McCormick and Lightfoot to go to town in the post. And, you know, it was forcing Miami to throw two or three guys, you know, defensively on the post. Then they were able to kick it out Uh, for the perimeter, you know, open looks. I think that's a big reason as to why Kansas was five of nine from the perimeter in the second half, because they were getting some open looks because the defense was collapsing in the post because there wasn't a big guy down there. Yeah. Uh, So I think that's an underrated moment of the second half. And then also, uh, and this is something that I, I know a lot of people talked about immediately following the game, 
but hats off to KJ Adams and what he did in that final possession going into the locker room defensively against Cameron McGusty. McGusty had absolutely lit up the Jayhawks defensively uh, in that game. I mean, he could he did he whatever good. he he did whatever he wanted for the most part offensively, and nobody could stop him. Bill Self put KJ Adams in, and just think about had KJ Adams not hung with him and and shut that possession down to go into the locker room and McGusty made a shot, it could have easily been an eight or nine point lead for Miami going into the locker room rather than a six point lead. And it was, it was a big enough defensive stand for KJ Adams that I don't know if you saw this Reggie Miller called KJ Adams over and congratulated him on the defensive possession <laughs> because of how locked down it was. And that was all he did in the game. He didn't do, I mean, that was his one moment in that game. Sure. And, one shining and he moment. In, he was incredibly effective. So I think what the, the, the post, what the big play, the bigs were able to do uh, against Wardenburg really set up KU offensively. And then what KJ Adams did defensively going into the locker room were two underrated moments. Well, it's time to look ahead to the Villanova Wildcats. And, you know, boy, I, we, we talked last week about, yeah, if they make the Final Four, is that going to be a disappointment or not or whatever? You know, at this point, for me, this is a great season. And Bill Self always says the best teams deserve to be tested and experience the best of the best. And you don't get the best of the best until you make it to the Final Four. This is not going to be an easy Final Four for the Jayhawks. You've got two traditional powers on the other side, one of the best modern teams since the turn of the millennium, and Kansas. Villanova is a quality team with an outstanding coach, a two-time Big East Player of the Year, Colin Gillespie, who has experience, leads the Wildcats in scoring at 16 points per game, four rebounds, three assists. He was on the 2018 title game, title team. This is a team that's won two national titles in the last decade. So this is not a team to take lightly. I think KU is more talented at several positions, but Nova can shoot the three. Justin Moore, obviously, is a huge subtraction for Nova. Out with a torn Achilles tendon. He averages 15 points per game. He's second in assists, third in rebounds third in steals, but Nova, as a team, they come in, they're ninth in Ken Palm, okay? They're ninth in offense, 17th in defense, and they're one of the slowest teams in the country. So I expect to see a huge style differential between Nova and Kansas. And can Kansas speed up the game? Can the Jayhawks play with a little bit more tempo? Not that KU is out of control, but KU, just to give you an idea, they're 61st in the country in tempo. There's about 350, 360 maybe teams that play Nova is 345th in possessions per game. So they do not want to get up and down. They're going to keep it in the half court. They're going to play very methodically. Both have played an outstanding strength of schedule, too. KU's is fourth. Nova's is 11th. KU has played the toughest defensive schedule in the country. Nova's played against the seventh best offenses in the country. So these are two tested teams with great head coaches, national championship banners. What's one thing that you are looking at, Tommy? For me, it is can KU control the pace of the game? Because I think, like you said, getting in their own head a little bit earlier in the tournament, I think when the pace is not the one that they want to play at, kind of like against Providence, I think that that is what can get KU into a little bit of a shell. And they come in, you know, they 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 start being a little bit wary, a little timid of taking those threes. 
attacking the basket, getting out in transition, finding the right opportunities to get out in transition, which will start with trying to make good, get good stops on the defensive end, is going to be key. What do you think is the key to this Final Four game against Nova to give the Jayhawks a chance at hanging that sixth banner? Well, one thing that Bill Self said uh, about Villanova's offense is a big part of it is them getting fouled. They shoot a lot of threes. And they utilize the shot fake a lot. And they are absolutely trying to get fouled when they're shooting the threes. And, and that's that's a strategy for them. It's a tactic for them. So how can Kansas be locked in defensively? I think that's going to come down to it. Um, you know, I, I don't see an offensive issue for Kansas against Villanova. If they can control the pace. You're talking about Nova's defense versus right, KU's right, offense? Yeah, okay. like I, I don't see a huge offensive issue for, for Kansas. Um, I, you know, especially after that second half against Miami. I think that um, this Kansas team offensively that we have seen multiple times and in the second half versus Miami should show up against Villanova. They should be able to control the pace of the game, especially if Remy Martin gets extended minutes. He's a spark plug. He provides so much energy. Uh, I can't believe that we've talked this little about Remy Martin, honestly, uh, I, leading up to this point. I mean, there have been a lot of other uh, factors with this Jayhawk squad, but... I'll throw the horn on us for that. Yeah, I mean, I mean right. he's our like, leading scorer in the tournament. He's probably the absolutely. most outstanding player in the tournament as of right now, in my and, opinion. And there is absolutely no reason to start him. That's the the most. <laughs> that's the most crazy thing about this entire thing. He's the best player on the team, and maybe left in the tournament. And he's coming off the bench, and that's and that I think he it's relishes working. that role. Right, it's working. Why? Why fix it? Why? No. Why change it at this point? He yes. brings that energy off the bench, and then just takes the game over and controls the pace. So I don't see issues offensively for Kansas. What I question is. Can they be locked in for 40 minutes of basketball on the defensive side? We've seen them do it for a half. Uh, We've seen them do it for stretches. Can they lock in for the entire game? And what is the game plan going to look like in the chess match on the sidelines between two of the greatest coaches in the game, Bill Self and Jay Wright? And I have nothing but respect for Jay Wright, nothing but respect for what he's built at Villanova. Um, He is a first-class coach. That is a first-class program with a first-class culture. Um, You know, not only is it difficult to win one national title, it's damn near impossible to win multiple national titles. And Jay Wright has been able to do that. And so hats off to him. Multiple final fours. Absolutely. Hats off to him. And, uh, he, you know, I've got a couple of, of, of random stats for you yeah, regarding please. Kansas and Villanova and their matchup. So all time, Kansas is four and five against Villanova. So if they're able to get this victory, they'll move to 500 against the Wildcats. Bill Self is three and five versus Jay Wright. Ugh. And he's two and zero oh inside Allen Fieldhouse against Jay Wright, like but that. one in but one in five in all other venues. So that that's a, that's great. a big one. They've met three times in the NCAA tournament. Those well, one years and two were two thousand eight, yep, two two thousand sixteen, and two thousand eighteen. Yeah. All three times the team that won went on to win the title. Kansas in 08 and Villanova in 2016 and 2018. So those that's a, are that's just a stat some, of the day. Some stats about uh, that that Villanova matchup, but you know, g- going back to the the actual matchup for this particular game, it is a blow that they don't have Justin Moore. Uh, your heart goes out to him. They're they're a little depleted. Um, you know, 
he's a difference a, maker. He's he a really, huge difference maker. He really is. And so, you know, with, with, if uh, he's in the game, I think this is damn near a pick him. I mean, yeah. I know that KU is talented, but I think Justin Moore makes that big of a difference. I mean, the line I think is four and a half points for Kansas right now. Yeah. So KU is giving four and a half. I think that it's. I think that he's worth you know in the line probably three or four points. I think this is a .5 point game if Justin Moore's playing. I, I, I think mean, he's that good. Honestly, I think he's even a bigger difference maker. I I, I I would think that the line should be right now bigger than four and a half. Like I would think the line should be like sure. six and a half or seven. And I agree. With just and with Justin Moore, it it comes it comes down to a pick'em at that point. Uh, but but I don't think that um, I don't think Villanova can replicate offensively. There's no way you can you can replicate a Justin Moore, um, no. and, and that, that's another thing about the Wildcats that has been talked about ever since Moore went down with that injury is that they were already thin. Jay Wright's rotation was six guys with Justin Moore, uh, <laughs> and, and and so you have to wonder. And, and he is a top three active college basketball coach right now, um, in my opinion, and I think. Three Man. of the four are in the final four. I think it's Bill Self, Jay Wright, and, and Coach, Coach K. Um, I mean, it's hard know. to argue. And so he he clearly is a fantastic. No, no love coach. for Mark. No, no love for Mark Few. Uh, no, we don't need to get into Mark Few. I think. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Gonzaga wins, but they don't. You know, they they always I, I, I get it. in the tournament. They play talk, in the talk about uh, a monkey on your back for not getting past the Sweet Sixteen, right? And and right. you know the the thing that you say about the them being so shallow may make the fouls that KU can draw on the inside even yeah. bigger. If KU can and, shoot twenty plus free throws against Villanova, you know the the I think KU does have more depth, and that's been a question mark for Kansas at times this year, but I do think that the Kansas bench is going to be better. I mean, when you got Remy Martin coming off your bench, it's right. going to be real hard to convince me that the bench for Kansas is not better than Villanova's. Oh, 100%. And, and, you know, when you've got guys like Joe Yasufu and KJ Adams and uh, Zach Clements who are barely logging any minutes, Jalen Coleman lands barely logging any minutes. Yeah. Your, your bench is significantly deeper than Villanova's. And so I go back to, to Jay Wright. How does Jay Wright game plan with really five guys that you trust? Um, it, do you in a final four game against the university of Kansas, do you trust going deeper with guys that are not battle tested? I, you, you talked about, the the strength of schedules and all of that, but it's a thin, thin rotation. Or do you just lean on those five guys, hope they don't get into foul trouble, and just say it's the you know these five guys are my ride and die. Get ready to play forty minutes. Like that's basically all you can do at that point. So th- there's going to have to be a game plan there uh, from from Jay Wright, and you know it'll be interesting to see how that that plays out. One other thing I think is really interesting. You were talking about what the line is for the game. I don't know if you saw this, uh, as of right now, the odds, uh, have been released for who will be named the final four MVP. And, uh, I don't exactly, I don't remember who number one was. Um, I think it had to be somebody. It must not Duke. have been a Jayhawk then. Yeah. I'm I guessing. think it might've been Wendell Moore. Maybe was, for Duke okay. was maybe then I don't know, but the the second uh, second strongest odds were Ochai, but then Remy Martin is a ten to one favorite to win the 
final four most valuable player, which I think is an absolute steal. Like I would jump on 10 to one odds on Remy Martin That's, all yeah. day long. I mean, because he he's like we talked about the most talented player on the court. And I, I don't know. I think if he's, he's able to continue on right what now. he's doing, absolutely. He, I would, I would definitely snag him at 10 to one. I, I, yeah, I like that prop bet a lot. It's a five ten tip off on TBS. The Jayhawks and Villanova trying to Should make we, it to the championship game. Hey, since we're only talking about the Jayhawks on this show... Should we give some predictions? Do you want to get into that? Do you uh, want to give some predictions for the game on Saturday? Do, do we do we dare give predictions for a potential game on Monday? I mean, we we didn't give any predictions to start the tournament, so my inclination is to say, hell no, I'm not well, giving predictions. You, let me put you on the spot. We don't think of the score prediction, sure, but do you think Kansas cuts down the nets in New Orleans on Monday? I I if I had to, if you are pushing me to it, I would say yes. I can see a scenario where they. I can see a scenario where they. I don't think KU loses to North Carolina. I. I, I feel confident that KU beats North Carolina. Um, I think that that will be such an emotional win, as UNC in the underdog. I think whoever wins that game, especially if it's close, if it goes to overtime, if it's like the one that they played at Coach K's last game at Cameron Indoor, I feel like there's going to be so much extra emotion expended on that game, much like the Chiefs did in that right. win over the Bills. I, I just wonder, can they get back up for that game on Monday? Because, uh, yeah, I know it's national championship, and oh, yeah, you know, it, you can't, if you can't get up for that, well, it's different <laughs> when you were playing your rival for the first time ever in the Final Four when you're Duke, North Carolina, and it's Coach K's last Final Four semifinal game and his last Duke-UNC game. That's different. It's different, period. Okay. It, you know, one thing, one thing I like to just to, and I'll, I'll let you finish about you, your predictions, but one thing I like about Kansas and Villanova in this game is that all the attention is on Duke UNC. Oh, and, and so as, deservedly so deservedly so, but th there's not this added, you know, Frenzy. all the eyes are not on your game. They're on the other one, which, which I think should allow at least both teams to play fairly loose. I think that KU will win. Uh, I think that my, I like KU to cut the nets down the most, Villanova second and Duke third, although I think any of the four teams could win it. And I think of those top three, I think are all extremely quality basketball teams. Mm. Um, one last thing on Villanova um, before I give you the last word on this. It's a 5-10 tip-off on TBS, by the way, on Saturday for the first game of the Final Four. Jay Wright, in his interview with the media earlier this week, said, you know, that we've got a lot of guys who are really good players. They're just not as good as the guys who have played. Maybe he's going to throw them out there. Maybe he does trust them. He gets to see them in practice every day. But the message to the media, at least, was we got good players on the bench. Whether or not they play, I don't know. Last word for you. Anything else we haven't gotten to for this, uh, this big semifinal between KU and Nova? Yeah, I, I'm really excited for all of the different narratives that are, you know, on the table. We talked about everything with Bill Self versus Jay Wright and and those programs, and but you look at the Final Four as a whole, and it's you know blue blood after blue blood after blue blood, and 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 you can throw Villanova in there. I, I think they absolutely qualify as a blue blood uh, right now. But you know, assuming that Kansas is able to get past Villanova, I like. I like the Jayhawks in this game. I think that they they can make it happen. Either way, you're you know you're you're facing either UNC or Duke. If you're facing UNC, 
Hottest team yeah, in the tournament, it's, it's, probably. Yeah, and and it's the it's the the Roy Williams Bowl at that point, uh, <laughs> which which I, which I love. I think that that's a lot of fun. Uh, but then also you've got Coach K if Duke wins in the national championship, and I and I'll be the <laughs> Can first. Can you to imagine say, what that I'll will be, be like? I'll be the first to say I I don't like Coach K at all. Uh, I'm ready for Coach K wow. to go away. Um, wow. Not a, I'm not a fan of his Those whatsoever. St- one of the statesmen of basketball. Just throwing him under but, the bus there. Wow. But I, I do think that, you know, my, my wife made this point one time. By the way, I think this is the most I've ever talked about my wife on the show. She's, she's getting um, a lot of play on this yeah. show. My, my wife made a point one Let time. It, go, it, was after, it was after Tiger Woods won the Masters in 2019. And she looked at me and she said, sometimes there's romance in sports. And it's true. And if Coach K is able to go out, whether or not he wins, but just go out go playing in a national championship game, you couldn't write a better storybook ending for that. Also, it's a rematch of the 91 national championship game Remember that, that game? Coach K got his first national title against Roy Williams at KU. So all of these different storylines at play, um, it, it's what makes college basketball so much fun, and it's what makes this time of year so much fun too. So I like the Jayhawks, uh, especially on Saturday. Um, you know, I, 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 I hope that we're next week talking about a national championship. As am I. And uh, yeah, Villanova, I think it's it's official at this point, at least for me. They are a blue blood. Um, yeah. Indiana, it's time to turn your card in. You're you are no longer in that class. Does Villanova UCLA is, count anymore? Uh, boy, I, I would push them out. I think that there are people who would, who would balk at that. But yeah, for me, UCLA has not been nationally relevant in that way for a number of years. So for right. me, yeah, I would push them out, but yeah, Indiana, sorry. You got Villanova's taking your seat at the table. We are going to wrap up with our last piece of business, our Wichita whip around, uh, because even though we're only talking about one topic and it's a shorter show, though we, we did a lot on that topic. Uh, we, we can't do a show without a whip around. So it is time to hit the music. This is one story that maybe you missed from around Wichita sports this past week. We'll try to keep it positive if we can. Tommy, what is your whip around this week? Yeah, congratulations and hats off to everyone who put on the successful women's basketball tournament at Interest Bank oh, Arena. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Over the weekend, uh, it drew fantastically. In fact, I think it was like the fourth highest attended Sweet 16 regional tournament Final. site. Final in in the in the last I don't know six or seven years or I mean it was wow. it was very very well attended. That's and amazing that, for the city. A lot of that came from fans of the University of South Dakota um, that traveled really well. Their fans <laughs> yeah, came down. I saw they had the hundreds picture. of fans coming down, which which was awesome. Uh, and by the way, shout out to a former I'm going to sound like Weston, a former Southwestern College mound builder, J- Jason Jeske, who was a year younger than me at Southwestern and who is the top assistant coach. For the University of South Dakota, back in Wichita, wow, uh, coaching uh, the what are they? The Jackrabbits? Is that what they are? At South no, Dakota? that would be the oh, though at South Dakota State, know. the Coyotes, so, the that's right, the Coyotes, yeah, Coyotes. So, uh, so hats off to everybody who put the tournament on. It was very well attended and very well done. Well, that was outstanding to see. Great for Wichita. Hopefully, going to be more events coming our way. 
Uh, I'm going to go to Newman Baseball. They're on a three-game winning streak. The Jets pounded Fort Hayes State in Game 2 of a conference midweek series, 18-6 to on Tuesday. They came back off of a five-game losing streak. They were swept by the number 10 Mules of Central Missouri, who have not lost to date in the MIAA. They got blown out in Game 1 in Edmond, 11-1 at the Broncos of Central Oklahoma, but quality starts from Denniston and Ashton Finke in Games 2 and 3 ended a five-game losing streak. They win the series over the Broncos. They're currently in MIAA tournament position. The 10-game road trip for Newman continues at Northwest Missouri State, a Friday-Sunday series, and the action starts at 3 o'clock on Friday. So congratulations to Coach Mouse and Newman Jets baseball. Final thing to wrap things up real quickly, additions, corrections, and retractions. Any ACs and Rs for you this week, Tommy? Yeah, I have one very quickly. I know we're going to do our Royals preview next week on the show, so we'll get more into depth on that. But Zach Greinke has been named the opening day starter for the Royals, which (laughs) is outstanding. And it sounds like Bobby Witt Jr. will be starting at third base opening day for the Royals. I can't say that that's a surprise. Then Grinky opening day starter, I mean, with the strength of the rotation last year, that's not a surprise. But, yeah, it's kind of surreal that he's going to be the opening day starter. Um, I have two additions. First of all, Ricky Council the fourth. Wichita State is testing the NBA draft. Obviously, he's not necessarily going to sign with an agent. Leaves the door open for him to return. There have been some other uh, transfers out in the portal as well. I believe Joe Pleasant has also left the team or is into the portal. And if you go to the portal, it doesn't mean that you have to stay there. You can come back. Uh, I haven't there heard are any... four shockers that are. I in think the that there are right four, now. but none of the big name. Ricky Council is the biggest name mm. that's portal or testing the draft. Uh, obviously, haven't heard anything about Dexter Dennis, Tyson Etienne, and some of those guys. And also, uh, move that kind of comes out of the left field to me the kansas city chiefs are considering strongly a move to kansas there's been some talk that they would move downtown some talk that they would move to a suburb on the missouri side and apparently they're considering a move to a kansas suburb so they would be really the kansas city chiefs <laughs> which i can don't, you uh well i was I just gonna say can, can you imagine uh, a, a legends area kansas speedway area with a chief stadium because it, it would be seem like unbelievable. that would be kind of the amazing area they'd be looking at yeah i can't imagine why they would do this they just poured in all those millions of dollars to arrowhead stadium so i don't i have well, i don't get this at all hey, it doesn't some make of sense that, to me some of that is you know spurred on by john sherman the new owner of the royals talking about they're looking at options for a downtown stadium in downtown kansas city and there have been renderings for that sort of thing they just so spent the whole, all that money on that stadium the whole, in like 10 the whole years truman, ago the whole truman sports complex could go away but i do think it's a leverage for some more money so we'll see what happens with that but the i think what's even bigger news that's actually real for kansas city is that they signed marquez valdez scantling to a contract that is a to, big story. Uh, to replace well not really to replace tyreek hill but to at least fill a void at wide receiver. Um, He was one of the top receivers for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And I I think we're going to have a lot of fun constantly saying Marquez Valdez Scantling. It's a good, it's a good, Weston would very much approve of that name because that's all he cares about. Um, well, we said we were going to have a shorter show and uh, we utterly failed. I mean, it's a I little guess we're shorter. shorter. It's a little we're, bit. We're slightly shorter, but uh, yeah, terrible job by us on that. However, hope you enjoyed it. Hope that you enjoy the basketball. Once again, it's KU Villanova and we will be back next week. Uh, we're not going to be on a weekly cadence after that. We'll get back into some sort of an every other week type of a deal. But next week we will be here to discuss 
the Jayhawks' fate in college basketball's March Madness, and of course, our Kansas City Royals 2022 season preview. Didn't know we were going to do that. Wasn't 100% sure that was going to happen, but I sure am excited for some Royals baseball coming up in 2022. Once again, thank you for uh, listening, watching, subscribing. Really appreciate all the support and the views. Share it with a friend. Once again, cogsports.com for the audio. You can get the video on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash games or on the YouTube channel. And make sure you sign up for the notifications so you are notified every time that we publish a new show. For our beloved audio listeners, where can they find you on Twitter, Tommy? You can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. And I am at B.E. Cripps, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S, on Twitter. Next week, hopefully celebrating a championship, talking a lot of baseball, right here on the Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. Rock Chalk. Jayhawk. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G-Pod.